Hi guys, welcome to episode 2 of the God Life Podcast. This episode is a conversation that actually happened two weeks ago with a girl called Tammy Tozakian. Tammy worked with me in Google in Sydney up until two weeks ago before she decided to go traveling for 18 months all around the world. In this chat, we talk about the decision-making process that led her to go traveling and the courage that it required, which I think a lot of people listening to this should find somewhat inspiring. And we also talk about her colorful career to date, which has involved her working with radio stations in Buenos Aires, Walt Disney Studios in Buenos Aires, Google in Buenos Aires, and lastly then Google in Sydney. So quite a lot of experience and depth there, and I hope you guys enjoy the chat. We'll enter it with Tammy just giving a little bit of background on herself. Argentina. I studied social communications and when I finished studying I went traveling for seven months to Central America. After that I joined Walt Disney Company eh, as marketing assistant for the radio eh, side of the business and during my social communication studies I also had a radio show. I left media and on Saturdays evenings I would go live with my radio show. You had, uh, it was your own, completely your own show? It was with me and three other uh, partners. Okay. So there were three boys and myself, so I would be the female boys. It was absolute fun, a lot of learning. And after that, uh, my experience in Walt Disney, five years ago I joined Google in the Argentini office. And three years ago I moved with Google to Australia. And now, after that journey, I've decided to leave Google and go um, into a personal adventure together with my partner and go on a worldwide trip. Incredible. Pretty good story. What age were you when you started the radio show? I was 21. 21? Yeah. But you had a solid job, so it wasn't kind of very risky for you to do. It wasn't risky at all. At that moment, I was studying, uh, and I saw the radio as an opportunity for me to develop a passion that I had, not actually a passion, an interest that I have and had. And when I started developing in a frequent way during the radio show, I, rela- I realized it was more of a passion. Uh, we didn't earn money doing the radio. We just earned uh, enough money to pay the space in the air. Because right, in okay. Argentina, there are two ways of doing radio. Either one, you're a, a celebrity and a radio station comes and pays you to have your own radio show or you're a person that is eager to have a radio show and you present your project if the project is accepted you get a, a space in the radio schedule yeah. but you have to pay for that so it's it's not expensive but then it's your responsibility to get sponsors that will pay for that okay and what aspect of it were you passionate about i was passionate about the fact that i was spreading my voice, my word, my thoughts to a community. Uh, I was passionate about that. I was passionate that I was exposed to so many interesting topics and subjects because radio made me or pushed my curiosity because I had to think what content I'm going to bring to my Mm. audience. So that put me uh, in the streets and understand what was important and relevant to to the audience that was listening to us on Sundays. Uh, so I was interviewing people, I came across like different uh, charities that were doing amazing projects and I had a media where I could spread their voice. So I really liked that. Also like for example it was a radio show that uh, we were the four of, 
four of us very passionate about music. So we would promote or invite local bands that they were just growing. So we would give them like 30 minutes of our radio show. It was a two hours program and say, hey, come play live music. And we would promote that band. We met a lot of people. So it was a way of like giving but receiving at the same time. Yeah, okay. I lo that's something I've learned a lot here about the value of a community and how, how much you get from giving to a community and being a part of it. It's, it's a huge thing. Um, you know that last year, so this new podcasting is completely new for me. And as we said before, because of your experience in the radio, you'd be a much better interviewer than I am. But You're doing I great. Really <laughs> but I really enjoy doing it so far. And last year, I started with the blog posts. And I felt really exposed when I started doing that. It was a really strange thing to do and just have your thoughts out there for everyone to criticize, but hopefully to, you, you hope that one person in a hundred even just benefits from reading them. Did you feel exposed when you got on the radio or was there any sort of fears or reservations around doing something like that? 100%. So I remember the first time we went live, there was a lot of, uh, of I was super nervous. Uh, I was all the time aware of what I was saying, if I was saying the right thing, if the tone was the correct one, if I was stepping on my friend's uh, voice. Like there were a lot of factors that stressed me out instead of relaxing. Yeah. And with the time, I just realized that things went better. I, my, the confidence within me grew and I started becoming less conscious of, of the things that I was saying and how I was saying and I just enjoyed. So I think that when you start practicing something, the practice gives you more confidence and then there's a point where you just enjoy in, instead of being so critical with what you are doing. And yeah. that happened uh, with the radio. So now I'm in the point that maybe if I go to Argentina, one of my partners keeps doing a, another radio show and he invites me to be part of the program and I just go there as if I was doing that every day yeah. with another confidence because I've done it, I've faced that fears, so now it's better. And you have your own style by this stage as well, I'm sure, like once you go on, you take, not take on a radio personality, but you know exactly what you're allowed to say, what not allowed to say and what goes down well with your audience and is comfortable with you and, and etc. Exactly, you know yeah. the rules and you know, yeah, know rules. how you are in that space and yeah. I feel that sometimes uh, what stresses out or puts, brings us nervous is when we don't know the game that we are playing. Yeah, were you hesitant to even start it? Like back to that nervousness, I was really hesitant to even start writing articles on the blog last year because I was like God if everybody criticizes my thoughts, I think it's stupid, silly, attention-seeking. There's a lot of different um, criticisms that can come your way from doing something like that. Did they even cross your mind, or were you a much more courageous 24-year-old than I was? Uh, no, and I super get you. I completely understand your point. Yeah, and I probably at that time, I was aware and conscious about that, and I was afraid. Obviously, like you're at, at an age where like what other people say influences you a lot, Yeah. Uh, and you feel that you have to get everything that you do right. But I guess that I was working with the right people at that time and they gave me all the support. And we we were like the group of four that we were just like, let's see this as a moment for us to have fun. Mm -hmm. And if while we're having fun, we are bringing something to the people, then we're doing the things right. Yeah. So we just took pressure of the result of the product, like of the program. So we were not expecting to be the number one radio show in Argentina. We saw it more like, let's keep it simple. This is a space for us. We win, we won this space in the radio station. Let's go and enjoy it. And I feel that the way that we saw this helped us enjoy the program. Yeah, I love that. That's kind of something that I've learned 
through the process of writing this book that I've recently written. At first I wanted it to be a big bestseller and I was freaking out every word I wrote saying, is that bestseller? No, it's not a bestseller sentence, wipe it out. And eventually I became comfortable with the idea of it's just an expression of yourself. It doesn't matter where it goes or whose opinion of it is negative and positive. If it's an honest expression of yourself and you put it out there, you kind of already get the intrinsic reward that I don't think can be overridden by any extrinsic reward. You know what I mean? I agree and I feel very... Um, I understand your point again because now that I've, I'm taking the decision of traveling the world and there are a lot of projects and ideas that I have in my mind yeah. while I'm traveling and sometimes I, I face... I realize that I'm facing this like, will this work? And I'm like, I shouldn't be asking me that question. I don't have to think if this will work and if people gonna, are gonna like it. I just have to think if I'm enjoying this that I'm doing and if it will work for me, not for others. Yeah. Uh, when I ask that question, like, will it work? Will others like it? I realize that I'm putting more pressure on a project that maybe shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, I, I, I do want to zoom in a bit more on the radio thing because you're the only person I know who's had a career in radio. Yeah. And your career to date has been remarkable. Radio in Buenos Aires, uni in Buenos Aires and grew up there. Yeah. Radio in Buenos Aires, Walt Disney Company in Buenos Aires, which yeah. also I want to talk about. Then Google in Sydney, Australia, and now about to travel the world. That's Google in Argentina. Google in Argentina first, yeah. then Google in Australia. You're ticking a lot of boxes there. Was there any point during the radio, so your first job, that you said, this is going to be me for life? Or did you always kind of leave it up to the gods? Like, when I was a no. banker, I thought banker for life for a while. It's amazing how things change. Um, yes, actually there was a point, so the story is like this. So I was working in Walt Disney, uh, and there was a moment where I received an offer from one of the most important radio stations in Argentina. The one that when I was a kid, I used to tune all the time. The one that if Rolling Stone goes and plays in Argentina, will be right. taking care of that show. So I, I, I had an offer to join the marketing team there. And I remember the marketing managers, like the, the person that would be my manager saying like, Tamar, you want to drink whiskey on stage with Rolling Stones? Come to work with me. <laughs> and I was like, imagine I was around 22, 23 years old and I was like, whoa, yeah. this is incredible. And the same time I was receiving that proposal, I received the proposal from Google. Right. And I swear that by the moment that the proposal from Google came, I was the less digital person in the world. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about digital. So there I was facing Google, the multinational, against this radio station that I always wanted to work with. So for everyone like around me was like a very obvious decision. It was like, Tamar, you're talking about Google against a, ra a national radio station. Like, there's nothing to think, it's Google, 100%. But for me, it didn't mean like, like the, the answer wasn't so obvious. Like it was a really, really hard decision for me. And what took me to decide for Google and not on the radio, is, it was because I started thinking about my interests. And I realized that I had all my professional experience in radio. So I thought like, I consider myself as a curious person. And I know a little bit this space. And I understand that radio and all of that communication is moving or shifting towards digital. Mm. So I think that maybe it's interesting to explore what digital looks like. And there's where I decided to do a shift in my career, and although that that was my dream station, I decided to try something different because I felt that there I could get some skills that if eventually I wanted to come back to radio, it would help me. Yeah. So that's where I did a shift and moved towards school. 
So that was, you, uh, you identified the macro trend, sort of, that, that media was moving to digital and thought that at that age you would benefit yourself by upskilling in the digital er era, er area where it was going to be the main... In a way, yes. Like I felt that to sh choosing the station, it could be an awesome experience, but maybe it would narrow my options. While if I moved to Google, I would be expanding my universe. Yeah, okay. And then that would put me in a position where I had more, more information and more perspective to decide my next step. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It's funny that you say you were um, digitally behind, to say the least. 100%. I, I said that to my manager who interviewed me, Kendall, at the time. I sat down for the interview and I said, look, I know very, very little about anything you guys do. But that honesty in the interview was what kind of won her over and, and progressed me through and through. It's kind of funny how people sweat all that sort of thing. They think, I can't work for Google. I don't know anything about digital marketing or AdWords. Or, I'd never even heard of AdWords when I was doing the interviews. I'd, I'd started looking at it about a week before. It's amazing how you, don't, you, you think these barriers exist and they really don't at all. Exactly, um, that's true. Yeah, it can kind of it trip people up. So obviously this podcast is designed for uni students. Can we zoom in a bit on the time in uni as well? Yes. And I loved uni time. Did you? I loved it. Tell us about it. Tell, I, I can't even imagine uni in Buenos Aires for me, but anyway. So much fun, but not just because of fun. Yeah. But I feel that uni is like that moment in your life where you're not that young and you're not that adult and you're choosing to study something that really interests you yeah. you're not forced like in most cases like obviously we we live in a, a society where our parents maybe push like encourage us to study so we would see like yeah i have to study because my parents wants uh, want us to have a diploma but still you have options to choose what to study yeah. which i think it's good and then like i just love the academic environment and be, being exposed to constant learning uh, and still now I try to keep in touch with universities because I feel that most of the good ideas come from the the people that are studying. Yeah. Just because you're also in an age where you're questioning a lot and you are starting to have your own statements, so you're uh, challenging things. Yeah. So I really enjoyed everything that happened in uni. Do you have any regrets from uni? Uh, like I not, not, not personal ones, but like, like so I regret not trying something like this or even something small in uni because yeah. there's nothing to lose when you're in uni I guess I would regret not to have more like short term ex professional experiences so maybe like because the uni I went it was like it had a heavy schedule maybe I couldn't get a, a short term job yeah. or a half day job but maybe there were like different things that I could have done in order to get a, a better sense of what's happening in real uh, life yeah. So more exposure to job while I'm studying rather mm. than staying so academic. Where, so I'm, I'm going to kind of line us up here by saying that I, I couldn't agree more and I really regret that as well. The reason I regret it is because, largely because of my brother was in finance. I never really thought outside the finance bracket. And so if you told me that there was really good jobs going on a radio station in Dublin at the time, I would have A, written it off, but B, not have understood what they even do in radios. I, I just had such little understanding of what happened behind the scenes and these things. I really wish I did even just a week with radio stations or any media company or um, even like a, a, a CPG company, like a, a supermarket, like the head office of a supermarket, see how that business works. My friend did it for a week and he really enjoyed it. 
we kind of make these decisions really blind without actually finding out for ourselves what we're suited to and and kind of aligned with so did you did you align yourself with media were you always going to go into some form of media before or did you consider anything else no so the truth is like i started social communication so in argentina social communications includes like journalism either radio tv uh, writing newspaper magazines so it's super broad right and then you have like insights on marketing you have insights on advertising you know how to edit a video, you know how to do cinema, you know you know a little bit of everything that it's media related. Yeah. But the f- main challenge that you face when you finish that career is that I know a little bit about anything, but I don't feel that I'm good, really good at anything. Yeah. So, I, so when I finished studying or when I was in my last years, I was like, where should I start working? So at that point I realized that I liked a lot of media so I was uh, attracted by the idea of a company like Walt Disney that has a lot uh, of media-related business. So with, when, within Walt Disney, you have uh, online, you have TV, you have radio, you have everything that's related to movies. Films, the park. Exactly. So it was like this multinational that had everything related to media. Yeah. And I was attracted to that. But maybe if Walt Disney wouldn't have happened and I received an offer from a... Um, marketing agency at that time when you were finished studying the first thing that you want to do is you want to get a job yeah. and you're not sure exactly what you want and sometimes it's like what get comes first is what i'm gonna take yeah so i feel that i was lucky that i was hired by disney and that was my first option because i had a lot of learning but to be honest when i just finished studying i didn't knew i want where i wanted to work yeah exactly. okay did you know what you were aiming for so I was aiming to get out of Ireland. That was a big thing, and that was, that was as much as I would allow adventure to factor into my goals. That was about twenty percent adventure. The other eighty percent was just typically looking for a good career that would bring me money and success and all those, like success with uh, inverted commas. Yeah. I just wanted something that would bring me there. If someone said media, I'd say that does sound awesome, but I can't see that leading me to being rich and powerful, which at the age of twenty one or twenty two was all I thought was important. So Did you ever have any guiding things like that? Yeah, and it was the opposite, that um, money and success in that way. So the way that I saw um, my first job was like, I don't, I'm not interested in money at this day, age. I want a job that w- where I will learn a lot. Yeah. So that, that was the one thing that I really prioritized uh, when I decided on my first job. So I was interested in learning. I was like, I've done the studies, but now I want to learn what working is all about. Mm. So at that point of time, I didn't uh, care so much about the um, salary that I was receiving. I was more interested on if I was if I was feeling that I was learning or I could learn in that job. Yeah. So that was my f- my priority, and I remember that. To be honest, like Walt Disney didn't pay me well in Argentina. Okay. Uh, not Walt personally. Not Walt. <laughs> yeah. Walt would have paid me well, yeah. but like if the comp- like my role wasn't well paid at that time, but for me like it was an amazing experience and I've learned so much working there and I was just thrilled by enter getting into the office and understanding what all that world was about. Yeah. That I didn't mind having a bad salary, but now obviously, some years later in my career. 
maybe having a good salary is something that I value. Yeah. But okay. at that time, I didn't value it that much, or it wasn't a priority. You know how interested in Walt Disney, the man and the business, I am. And I'm, okay, I'm going to ask one question about it. I've always wondered, what's the typical person who works in there like? So the typical, you know, you can picture your typical banker, typical lawyer, almost your kind of semi-typical Googler. What would you picture as the typical Walt Disney employee? Um, very creative, very kind of... So yeah, obviously it depends in which side of the business you are. Sure. So from what I've heard, like if you go to a um, Pixar office in Burbank in the US, uh, they say that the office of like all the, these creative directors are just amazing. Like well, maybe John Lasseter, the head of it, he only wears flowery shirts and exactly. he dresses there. Yeah. Or maybe there's one that created an igloo right. as its office. Or maybe someone like just tuned their space as a jungle. Like everyone has like this sort of creative mood. Where I used to work, I was in the radio side of the business. Not sure if you know this, but in all of Central America and South America, Radio Disney has a station that is called Radio Disney. Right. And for example, where an artist like Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, come to each country, we organize their concerts, and like that's how oh, it that's works. Cool. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Super fun. So I saw Ricky Martin. I saw a lot of celebrities. Um. So how was the culture or the people there? It's like, you really feel that you want to help others realize their, make their dreams. Like Disney yeah. is all about dreaming and making dreams come true. And I always remember that with the radio, we're having this contest to take 10 families of, of Central America to the World Disney Parks. Right. And we had this family of Nicaragua that they won. And let's say that the prize was like mother, father, and sons, and the kids. And they gave us a call and like, we have this cousin that he really, really wants to go to Nicaragua, to the parks, but we can't, we can't afford the ticket. Yeah. And I always remember my manager is like, Tamar, do whatever it needs, but we are taking the whole family and the cousin. No because way. our message is like, we make dreams come true. So that's a little bit the spirit where that you work yeah uh, and then like like working style is very informal so people will be dressed casual casually yeah yeah that's cool i'm gonna be coming from a skeptical angle yeah so i'm finishing up the walt disney um not autobiography biography now really really good and he was all about um making dreams come true for people and just bringing happiness and, all, and making his visions come through that was the most important thing it actually it really was genuinely wasn't about the money and his brother roy was the kind of money guy. So Walt would say, I'm going to build this big theme park in the future city. And Roy says, no way, that'll cost 10 million. And Walt says, I don't care, I'll start building, you get the money. And that was the kind of culture. And it seems like that's lived on. But if you, told, if you said what you just said to me when I was in university, I wouldn't believe that people are out there working to make the world better for other people in a big company like Disney. I would assume that they're all after their bonuses and looking to do well themselves. Um, maybe looking for a comfortable lifestyle and working in a nice environment. What would you say to someone who came at it from that angle? Who who is because I know a lot of maybe it's particular to Ireland and maybe England and Australia. There is that skepticism among people who they're just going out. They assume everyone's just out for themselves. Um, from your experience. So from my experience, I think it's a little bit of both worlds. So. There are different kinds of people, and I feel that there are different types of motivation. 
and what motivate, motivates me might not be the same thing that motivates you. And I feel that the important thing is to understand which mot- what motivates the people that surround you to understand the work that you're doing. Yeah. So for example, I feel that I'm a person that I'm more motivated by things that like if I f- I'm doing a job that I'm really passionate about and I f- see that impact on others on the job that I'm doing. Maybe if I'm doing that job that I don't like, but I have a great salary, I'm not motivated by that. Like I couldn't do a good job just for that. Yeah. But I do understand that there are people that work like that. Uh, and it's okay. Like I feel that the most important thing when you go out uh, to the professional life is to be open, to be open to meet people that might be more ambitious, to be open that are people super career driven, that there are people that might not be career driven, that are more people orientated. Mm. And be open and flexible to relate to those persons in different situations and feel comfortable with that, with that without judging. Because it's okay, like if you're a person that your motivation is, I want to become a rich man, you might have your reasons and that's fine. And if you enjoy life, being a rich person, that's perfect. Like I'm no one to judge you, but that doesn't mean that that's my motivation. Yeah. So I feel it's more about that than saying like in Google, people are not driven by ambitions. We are just driven to make the best products and save the world. Yeah. No, maybe that's the mission of the company, but you'll meet people that have different motivations and there might be people that are more ambitious and might, there might be people that are not ambitious at all. Yeah, that's something that I'm, in, like coming out of the back end of learning, maybe, I'm not too sure, obviously we never know, but definitely bounced around the last couple of years. So when I was in the bank, in the investment bank, anyone who wasn't out there to make as much money as they could, I thought they were kind of wasting time. And then when I came here to Google, obviously a much more personable environment, I thought, God, anyone spending that much time in banks just pursuing money is wasting the time instead of actually enjoying the people they're working with, etc. And I'm starting... Going, I'm going between those two extreme points of view. I'm now finding an equilibrium in the middle, and I'm trying to be more accepting of everyone's different. Like everyone has extremely different variations of the word ambition or ambitious, and being accepting of those is um is something I'm kind of working on. I'm trying to build in, and it takes time. So any yeah, any obviously. uni students listening, and obviously it's always going to take time. Um, okay. So the next step now, your big trip, again. Yes. Firstly, tell us about it. What's what's the plan? You're going to Indonesia first. So we are actually starting on Western Australia, right? Broome and driving up north to Darwin, where like for references, where the crocodiles and the snakes and all the exotic creatures of Australia are. Yeah. And from Darwin, we're flying into Indonesia, and that's the only thing that it's planned for the moment. But then we have like the journey in our head. So the journey looks like we'll be in Indonesia, out spending some time in the islands. And then we're going into Southeast Asia, so doing Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Myanmar, all up to China. And then when we reach China, we want China up in the north, in the border with uh, Russia. We are taking the Trans-Mongolian. So you're going to go through China? Through China. Right, right, we're, right. Yeah, we're doing, we're exploring China. And when we reach the border between China and Russia, we're taking the Trans-Mongolian, which is this train that goes through Russia and through Mongolia and takes us into Moscow. And we'll get into Moscow, start doing Eastern Europe, Western Europe. Then the idea is to do the north part of Africa and then go up into Europe to Portugal. 
cross to Mexico. Jesus. And then go down to Argentina. In 18 months? More or less. Holy crap. You're going to have to have a weird suitcase packed going from Broome, which is like 40 degrees. Then you're going to jump on a train and wind up in Moscow, which Ex I believe yeah, is minus 40. Yeah, minus 40 degrees. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be an gonna interesting be crazy. one. Yeah, but basically what we're going to do is we'll be carrying, like for example, I'm starting that trip with very light clothes just for summer we weather. Right. But then when I get into China, there I'll just get the right equipment to yeah, go into okay. Russia. Okay. So basically we'll carry what we need for the moment that we're living and not just thinking ahead. Yeah. Now for our older listeners who aren't uni students but probably young career, a lot of them are thinking, F this girl right now because they all want to do this exact trip or something like it. You're at a point where, as we said, you've had a colourful career, but you've also moved up at the same time. And so you're doing very well for someone at your age. Yes, it would appear to some that you're kind of dropping the career for a while and just going and living. That takes courage and probably a different point of view of life as well to what a lot of people go through day to day with. Could you talk us through the decision making process on that? Just, as I say, there's a lot of people who would love to do what you're doing and they might be at the moment just short of the courage that's needed or not seeing it from the same angle so yes like to be honest it's not an easy decision to take uh, there was a lot of thinking um, so what basically pushed me to take this decision is I'm one I'm a person that feels that I want to have a life with no regrets I prefer to regret what I did rather than regret the things that I didn't uh, do so that's my first thought and this is a project that with my partner we had in our heads for a while and we started working, doing our research and there was a moment where we realized that it was up to us to make it real or not. The hard decision comes because you grow in a society where obviously having a job, it's important, driving your professional career. And honestly, I love the lifestyle that I have here in Australia. I feel pretty lucky. Just for uh, those who listen, Tommy lives in Bondi Beach and surfs every day before work. It's which so. is like unbelievable. And like, yeah. for me, the challenge was that I wasn't that happy at all with the life that I have. On the contrary, I'm super happy with the lifestyle that I have now. I love living in Bondi Beach. I love Sydney. I'm happy with the work that I do. But I am also a person that thinks that it's nice to do changes when things are going well mm. and not be unhappy with your current situation to push the change. Yeah. And we realized that we, we wanted to push us away from our comfort zone, but not just because I want me to push away from my comfort zone, because there was a project that we were really motivated and that we felt that if we didn't do it at this time, then we would regret it. Yeah. Because maybe the cost of opportunity would be higher, maybe like our priorities in the next year's change. Uh, and we had other types of responsibilities, so we wouldn't have like this freedom mm. to take this decision. The higher up you go, the more you have to lose, really. Exactly, and maybe the fears are greater, but let's say that, I don't know, in some years you form a family, and then you start have to thinking like decisions based on your yeah, kids. Yeah. There are some ages where like the only responsibility is taking care of yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I feel that I was at that point and that this was something that I really, really wanted to do. And obviously like leaving a company like Google, leaving a country like Australia, it's not an easy decision. Yeah. And you have your fears. But when I was when I had these fears, I just realized that it was fear. There was no rational reason for me 
not doing this mm. uh, and that fear is something that I guess that with time will disappear yeah. but it's not something that would, like rationally was like Tamar this is 100% crazy you shouldn't be doing this every time that there was a no it was fear fear of losing my job and not knowing if I'm gonna be employed again fear of not knowing what my next step will be like fear of the unknown yeah but then again the unknown gave me some adrenaline so and then reason kicks in you say you've worked for good companies for 10 years you're likely to get a job when you come back and wherever you go Australia Argentina wherever it is yeah but like when fear makes you think oh I'll never work again exactly like if you come and you tell me, Tommy, don't worry, like, I'm sure that you'll find a job when you go back to Argentina or wherever you went. It's like, thanks, Mark, thanks for saying this. <laughs> but when you are taking that decision, yeah. your fear, like, doesn't make, doesn't allow you to think clearly. So it's like, you stop valuing the skills that you have. And yeah. it's like, no, no one will hire me. Um, I'm done with my life if I take this decision. Mm. So you start growing that confidence. And I, and I was like, yeah, I have a set of skills. I have to trust that. I have to trust that I'm lucky to have studied, that I'm lucky to have worked in companies like Walt Disney and Google, that I'm lucky to be surrounded by such great professionals. So you know that you have resources that will help you in your way. Yeah. And with that, you also challenge your fears because then you realize that it's just a fear and that it's not something real. Yeah, I'm much more scared of being like obviously with my health there's, there's different complications but I'm much more scared of not leaving it all on the park or you know what I mean of, of, of not fully expressing or fully traveling or whatever it is that my heart wants to do I'm much more afraid of not doing that and getting that out than I am of the consequences of doing it and, and things going wrong and for me I think that definitely provides me with courage in the face of the fears that we all face yeah like I, I'd love to be doing what you're doing as well um Fortunately, I've got this and a couple of things that I just really enjoy doing right now. Um, but everybody faces this enormous, both two things, this enormous desire to go and do what you're doing, but the enormous fear to, that, that kind of stops them from, from taking it on. What do you think you will do afterwards? The radio will probably play a feature. I would love, I would love to go back to radio. Yeah. Uh, but to be honest, I don't know. And the perspective of not knowing uh, create such an adrenaline inside yeah. that I enjoy like I like tra I like writing as well so I think that I'll have time during my trip to reconnect with that side that on my years with Google it's something that I left aside and I slightly regret so I want to push myself to write again would you write a book or something like it um, maybe the trip I uh, the book it's something that I have in my head for a long time uh, but I feel that the trip won't be the book yeah that the trip will come the book will come later in the years okay. that the trip will be more articles and more like on the journalistic on the journalistic side like yeah. getting to know people culture like sharing more my experience but not so much blogging like I mean my day one of that trip but more of like what's happening for example in this rural area in China yeah and letting people know what's happening there like how people are there like more of around the people and the places that I that's see rather cool. than myself so that's the idea I have and then honestly after that trip I don't know yeah uh, time will tell cool. I have a feeling that something will happen on the trip that will choose your direction for you 
I think when you leave yourself open to a lot of influences for as a period of time as long as 18 months, you're going to meet someone that will offer you a job a year in. You'll fall in love with journalism so much that that will just have to be what you do when you get back. There'll be there, You might go visit a country that you say, I'll just have to live here for a year. I think when you allow your heart that openness to go and see what's out there, it will choose something and make the decision for you. So fear, logic, these things don't even play a role anymore. It's just, I, I feel like a pull to go over in this direction, whether it's a work or a place or a bunch of people, whatever it might be. So in a way, I kind of hope that happens because that's, when things like that happen, they don't, things don't really get much richer than, than, than the output of, of that incident. It's true, and if anything of that happens, sounds really exciting. Yeah. So I'll update yeah. you. And I was just thinking, Mark, you told me that this would happen. Yeah. No, but that's um, like I'm obviously the, like the ultimate idealist. But I think that th that stuff does happen, and that's where the restless twenty-five-year-old or twenty-seven-year-old or thirty-year-old who wants to just quit their job and go traveling finally. I would say to them that it's pretty bloody likely that if you actually properly do it and open yourself up, you will find something, a person, a place, a thing, a job, a passion that will pull you in and say, this is what you were meant to be doing all along. But thank God you came and looked for me. And I, I just think that that kind of happens. Um, I, I agree. I, I think very similar to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'd love to see the book come along <laughs> in, in the pipeline as well. Um, so we, we'll go back into your, your very colorful career. You crossed a chasm that scares most people off, and that is moving to a country to work where the language isn't your first language. Yeah. And I've always had a huge amount of respect for that because obviously, you know, I did those Columbia interviews in Spanish. Yeah, I know. And I had to ask every single question to be repeated. And I was like, Jesus, how the hell would I even work down there if I got the job? You're a But great Spanish speaker. <laughs> I've had good teachers. So if I, if I went down there, I w it would be immensely difficult to work, to do well at work, never mind keep my head above water. And then even to socialize and that sort of thing as well. How was that for you coming across? So I, I, didn't, I came to Google after you, so I didn't know you when you first arrived, but what was your level of English like and what was that challenge like? So I went to an English uh, speaking school in Argentina, so I learned English since I was three, but my subjects at school were like having English, having Spanish. So I've been speaking English from, let's say, three years old until 18, which is a good yeah. uh, time. But obviously, like You've during, got no during, I didn't have, yeah, no excuse. But <laughs> during school, during school hours, because with your friends you would always speak Spanish. At your house, you would at your house you would speak Spanish. And then what happened is, I finished school at 18, and then when I went to uni, and unis in Argentina are in Spanish. So from 18 to 25 that I came to Argentina, to Australia, I wasn't speaking English at all. So I knew English from school. But from 18 to 25, I wasn't speaking English in a regular basis. I could read a book, yeah. I could watch movies, but I wasn't talking with my friends or my family in English. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So when I moved to Australia, it was a challenge because I had to start speaking English again every single day. And I think that, again, the biggest challenge is in one's head. I know I can speak English and I know that I can make myself understanding English. But the challenge is, for example, when I go into a client meeting and I do a presentation, maybe you say, Tammy, the presentation was good. I really liked it. In my head, I know how I would have presented in Spanish. Yeah. And I know that in Spanish, I would have been like, 
10 times better just because it's my language maybe because I know exactly what the word that I want to use so most of the time here what I'm thinking is not exactly what I am saying mm. and that's always in my head and it's a constant challenge yeah. but again but at the same time it's super um, it's good it's like learning because it push, push, pushes me away from my comfort zone and reminds me constantly that I'm doing something different yeah um, I believe you, you have a famous quote I'm much funnier in Spanish don't worry exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. it happens all the time like it's like fuck why I cannot be talking in Spanish or I wish I could be the whole conversation in Spanish but again I think it's I really really encourage people if you know a little bit of another language go and have an experience in that country that will help you uh, develop that English that, that other language that you have either if it's Spanish French Russian whatever it is uh, for me, it's, it has been a great experience. And now I'm happy to go back and work on a Spanish market. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I think it's very inspirational. I'd like to do it at some point as well, but obviously, you know, my mind kind of jumps a lot. So uh, I'll do it one day. Okay, so to wrap up, we're just going to go a couple of quick fires. Yeah. Um, not, not so quick, but we'll get into it. Influence. Who's been a big, who or what has been a big influence on you? And I, I, the context for this is, get these young guys out reading or listening to different people, reading books, researching people. You know the impact that Ernesto Guevara had on me. Yeah, and Just re reading all about that. Anyone like that for you that you recommend looking into? Yeah, so, well, the, one of the biggest influencers in my life, and this is personal, is my mother. Right. So my biggest recommendation so is... So can we Google your mother? You can Google my mother. <laughs> I can share my mother to everyone. No, but my point there is like... Sometimes you'll have amazing people very close to you yeah. and you won't realize. Yes, hugely. So in my case, she's one of my main influencers. But then going into more famous people, there's this um, Italian jur jur journalist. He, f he died. His name is Tiziano Tarzani. You might need to say that slower for the Irish people. <laughs> Tiziano Tarzani. Tiziano. Yeah, Tiziano. Okay. Yeah, he was an Italian journalist, and there's this book, um, the uh, I need to find you the name, the name okay. in English, but basically it's the conversation between him and his son. Tiziano Tarzani gets cancer, so it's the last conversation in his final days, and basically. Right. It's his, he was a very like well-known uh, journalist. He did a lot of interviews. And this time is his son interviewing him. And in that book, he shares uh, his life lessons. And there's one phrase that I really like, that is a little bit strong, but I like it, that basically I will translate it from English to Spanish, oh, from right, Spanish right. to English, <laughs> and let's see how it sounds. But basically, if they're shooting you, just smile. So it's like a life concept that no matter how extreme the situation where you are, just smile, like give the best of out of you. Yeah. So I really like that was a really nice book in my way of seeing the life and just doing things. And it's like remind me, reminding me of always trying to be positive and give us, giving a smile to people and to the situations that I face, either if they're good or bad. And surely that will encourage people to go off the beaten track as well. Yeah. entrepreneurship, a trip, whatever it is, people will always criticize these decisions. But if they're shooting at you, you just smile. 
I like that. And, nice and then some other uh, books that I, I like uh, in terms of art, I really like Salvador Dali. Yes. For me, he's an absolute genius. Yeah. I just like all his crazy hair. I think yeah, I, I love, love his... how he plays. So I love just seeing some, like sometimes I get his uh, arts and I, I see them and, and they're so inspiring. So yeah. that's something that I like. He was obsessed with clocks. What was the with deal clocks. with clocks? Uh, yeah, actually, like La Persistencia um, de la Memoria. I, don't, I think it's The Persistence of, mem of yeah, memory. memory. It's one, like, that's my fa famous right, piece okay. of art. And I like that, all of that concept of about playing with time and yeah. thinking about time. And for me, like, the most important thing about time is just being conscious that the only time that we have is now. I find him inspiring as yeah. well. He was like, a, when was he around? 19th, no, 20th, 20th century. Yeah. 20th century Kanye West, that's how I'd describe him. He was, he was so F the world, this is how I'm doing exactly. it, and this is my art, and yeah, it's very cool. Um, so that's, would you recommend a book on Salvador Dali? There is a big... No, but there are good books yeah. on him, but I would just suggest... Okay, any books, any books, any books you wish you read back in the day? I wish I, I read Shantaram when I was 21. I read Shantaram when I loved it. Yeah, I wish I read it when I was 18 or 19. I yeah. probably would have tried to go to university somewhere else or even not gone to university. Not that I regret going to university, but it, it gave me such a, it taught me that I saw the bottom of life as being, say, at a, at, at a certain point, and I saw that certain point as being zero out of 10. When on a global scale, through the global lens, that point was still like seven or eight out of 10 that there was actually such a higher and lower quality of life available than I realized that I would, it encouraged me to take much more risk than I would have had I just, well, had I not read it, I guess. I so, love, yeah. yeah, that book is great. One that I really liked is, and I suggest people to read is Siddhartha. Of Siddhartha, Her yeah. Siddhartha of Herman Hesse. Okay. Uh, is that Siddhartha Gautama? Is that, yeah. is that about him? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, for some reason, I have that name in my head as the founder of Buddhism. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, what did that do for you? Because some people so would this, think Buddhism is freaky, which it's no, not. No, but it's very cool. this is more of that concept of just um, living with what you really need and more about being detached yeah, from okay. material things. And I feel that that's a good concept to have in your head. Like, I like, I feel more free when I'm not attached to anything yeah. in the sense of like uh, sometimes I don't know and I don't say that it's bad but like maybe you feel bad because something happened to your car yeah. which is not bad but like in the end you feel that those are not the things that will die with you yeah yeah 100%. so it's a little bit about like a personal mm. growth I'm gonna say to someone there because I only started looking into Buddhism about two years ago Buddhism isn't, you don't look into it if you're really interested in religion. You look no, into it if you're interested in anything. philosophy, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it don't, don't just limit it to the bands of religion. Don't put it in the religion box. It's, it's a very, very broad idea. And it kind of, it transcends everything in life, really. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I, see, if you told me that in college, I would have thought, that's a religious book, I'm not reading it. But it's not a religious no, book. No, it's, it's not related at all in that sense. It's more like con good concepts for life. Yeah, 100%. And then obviously I have to give you an Argentinian author just to go. promote my country. <laughs> uh, but this one is not related to like life concepts. Right. It's just a nice book because it was a game changer in literature. Okay. It's called uh, Rashuela. 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 How do you spell it? I've never even read that. R A 
Y-U-E-L-A. And the author is Julio Cortázar. I have that. Is that a black and white cover? Yeah, there are like a lot of versions and I think that is... And it's huge, is it? Yeah. Yeah, and I bought that a couple of years ago. It's an amazing book. Like, you'll find it in other languages that are not Spanish. Uh, it's translated. Just for context, Rajuela is a game. It's a game that we play when you are a kid. Like, you, with that piece of chalk, you just trace like right. a pattern in the ground yeah. and then you jump. So that's that's the concept. And this book, what I love it is because the author, there are parts of the book that are written in a language that he invented, which doesn't make sense, but you're able to find the meaning, although there's no sense and you don't know that language. So you've read the book to date and so you can infer what he means. When yes. you, okay. you, you, no, you can infer what he, he matches the words, the letters, in a way that you can infer what he's trying to say, but it's a different word. Right, okay. So it's like, for me, he's a genius. And he, and you can read the way the book in two ways. So as you would read a normal book from start to end. Or you can play this game where he tells you, like, and now go to page 48. Bullshit. And, like, what? there's a game within the book. So based on how you have two ways of reading the book. So actually, read it twice. God, that's incredible. That's very risky literature, it's, I would say. It's, he has been, like, for me, it's those... Uh, it's one of those people that change the rules yeah. of how something is done. That's yeah. why I love him so much. That's brilliant. Okay, Rayuela is how it's spelled for the Irish people. Rayuela. Rayuela. <laughs> okay, um, that's a book you wish you'd read earlier on. Any movies you wish you'd read early on? Just because I. Um, but movies like. I'm like I'm not the best person to suggest movies because I like like all the adventurous movies yeah, that everyone says like this is rubbish. <laughs> I personally like the man the man in the Iron Mask. That was on the other night actually. I love that movie. Last night. I yeah. love the Three Musketeers. I love all everything that, that happens. Yeah. My version is Count of Monte Cristo. Same, I love same one. I, I, that one. I love it as well. That's the best story I've ever been told. And uh, to finish up then, any quote that you kind of always hold close to your heart? Yes. Apart from um, the, the smile while they're the sh shooting, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, and actually this one was given by my mother and it comes with a story, which okay. was a life lesson for me. So the story is I was in second year of uh, university and I had a, an assignment for a subject, which was you have to get an interview from a well-known person in Argentina. So I had one week to go before I had to give my article and I didn't uh, had anyone to do the interview and I go I was in this restaurant with my mother and suddenly the most one of the most important journalists uh, journal, journalist, journalist, yeah. journalist in Argentina gets into the restaurant um, and my mother tells me there you have your interview and I was like mother are you crazy <laughs> there you have your interview go and ask him for an interview and I was like, you are crazy. And she says, she there tells me a phrase that is like my phrase, that is like, Tamar, you already have the no, so just go for it. Because the no, which is the worst situation, you already have it staying in this situation. So just go. Holy crap, yeah, that's good. So yeah, you already have the no. So I went there and I introduced myself and I say, hey, I'm Tamar, I'm studying this and this. I w sure. He gave me the phone of his secretary and he was like, arrange an interview. So the story goes on and it becomes a little bit crazy, but I'll just share the story. Please. So I go to the house 
I do this uh, interview, which was all about his person, not so much about him, like his views on a given topic, but more I want to know about your life. Yeah. That was my my uh, goal. I understand him as a person, like his life. I do this interview on a Thursday morning at his house. Amazing interview, super uh, valuable. He leaves. I leave his house. Yeah. He stays. <laughs> uh, Saturday morning, I I start receiving phone calls in my house. He was like an old man, but when he did the interview, he was like super, super healthy. Right. Like everyone was like, how how do you notice how, he, after I did the interview, my family was calling and saying, hey, Tamar, how was the interview? Is he okay? Is he healthy? Because he was around like his 80s. Um, and I was like, yeah, he was super, super like smart, like very clear with his ideas. I saw him like 100%. That Saturday morning, a lot of phone calls at my place, and, and I was sleeping. My mother comes and tells, hey, Tammy, eh, Bernardo, who is the, the journalist. journalist, died. And I was like, what? Yeah, something like health, he died. And I was like very shocked because I've been like with him two days before. And she was like, you also, people are calling because you might have the last interview that he gave. And I, like my teachers at uni were calling like, Tamar, did you get, did you do the interview? Like everyone knew that I was getting the interview with him because it was like, whoa, yeah. she, had, she had the interview. Until suddenly it was like, I have the last interview. Yeah. And actually it was the last interview that he gave. Gosh. I talked with his secretary and she was like, Tamar, you should write this interview and get it published because it was the last interview he gave. And it was all about his life, even like, it's so crazy, but in the last phrase that he gave me in the interview, he tells me exactly what he wanted to be um, in, written in his grave. So it no was way. super crazy, the story. And actually one week later, in, the, in honor of uh, showing respects and an honor for him, the national newspaper published my interview. No so way. it was a completely crazy story that ends with a phrase that my mother said, like, the no, you already have it. So I decided to go for the interview and then things went just crazy. God, when we disregard the circumstance and the fact that death yeah. plays a role in the story, that is a very valuable story where you were sitting in a cafe, you were about to not go and get this um, interview, you went for it and it ends up becoming this immeasurably value and valuable interview then. Yeah. So to all the people listening, I think we'll do well by ending on that note, you already have the no. Go and find out what the yes is. Um, and I guess that's exactly what you're about to do with this trip. So it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much. And buena suerte con su viaje. Good luck with the trip. Good and, Spanish. And the pleasure has been mine. And um, we hope to see you in Ireland sometime over Christmas if possible. Thank you. Thanks, Tommy.